Hello and welcome to Sotha Symposium. We're your hosts. I'm Doug Daffin. I am Chris Bendeman, and guess what? We've got another guest tonight. Uh, Mr. Parks. Andrew Parks. What's going on, dude? Uh, not much. How about you, Chris? I'm good, man. It's, it's a real pleasure. Like, we, we can't mask this. We are fucking psyched to have you on the show. Well, uh, I appreciate that. I'm yeah, psyched to be here. We, we've been wanting you here for a while. So, Mr. Parks, tell us a thing or two about yourself. I hear I know that you're a government agent, and um, I am actually here on a special assignment to bring down. I understand there's an underground communist ring um, somewhere in this this apartment. Okay, uh, so <laughs> Doug, we need to. I need to leave. Um, <laughs> oh shit! You I wasn't on this show. Yeah, I didn't. Um, anyway, so um, we are happy to be back. We've taken a really long hiatus. Um, we. Yeah, it's been like a month or more. Yeah, we had we had law school finals, and if you don't know about those, they're ten times worse than regular finals. Oh, that's not fair. Who knows? Maybe they have like quantum mechanics finals. And those like... are those are also worse than regular finals. What are regular finals? Liberal arts. Oh, okay. Those are regular. That's less than regular. Yeah, I mean, but I agree. the reason the reason why I say they're regular finals is because colleges were originally liberal arts institutions. Oh, oh, this... so they're original finals. Yes. Okay. Vanilla finals. Yes. And Vanilla. everything else is harder. Yeah. In what world is law not the original hardness level, right? Law's the original, like, above. Law's the original hard compared to. So really, we've achieved moderate hard. Sure. Anyways, okay. but the the point is <laughs> that we had these tough as nails finals. Of, what kind of symposium is this, Chris? Listen, I mean, man. The type where we drink. <laughs> The the type actually I've and been I've been pretty of cynic- drinking okay um Chris yes. explain our beers and our rules okay so fun fact about me and Doug um, me and Doug were sitting here in the same city for several weeks for the past several weeks thinking to ourselves damn it would be nice to do more of the podcast too bad we're not in the same city <laughs> true story so it, within the last week Doug was like hey man when do you get back to Austin or something no and I, was I asked like, are you going to be in Houston this summer when I meant to type are you going to be in Austin this summer right and I was like second half yeah I'll be in Houston he's like wait wait shit wait are you in Austin right now so that was good um, we've had tremendous uh, support for the podcast recently wow thank you to everybody who's a new listener um, yeah, special are, shout out to Wes yeah Shout out Wes, aka um, Swaggy Sheepdog. My parents listened to our my my podcast, our podcast, like in New York recently, like within the last day, which is kind of scary because now I'm like, oh, I say a lot of things yeah. on the podcast, um, but yeah. they didn't really call me out for anything. I live in constant fear that either of my parents will discover my podcast. I think that because I didn't directly invite my parents to listen to the podcast, I'm like, I'm gonna be okay on that, but. Anyway, thank you to everyone for listening. Um, thank you to whoever whoever left us a five star review. That was really thrilling for us. Wes. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, we're really excited. Anyway, uh, all of that being said, in a tribute to us not knowing anything, I have brought for us a collection of beers that, literally, with one exception, and the one exception is the one Andrew Parks is drinking right now. I have never had a single one of these beers. I have a selection of like random beers from Shiner that I've never had before. And I have a selection of, well, not a selection. I have Tropical Torpedo IPA <laughs> from Sierra Nevada. What a fantastic name. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty awesome. I thought that was pretty summary, all things considered. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I've never had that before. In fact, I don't even think I've ever had a Sierra Nevada beer before. 
And if that's embarrassing, well, it's no more embarrassing than us not knowing that we're in the same city together. So these beers are a tribute to our own lack of uh, basic bare minimum knowledge we should have about things. Anyway. You could say beer minimum knowledge? It's the beer minimum. <laughs> God damn it. All right, Doug. Um, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to hear this topic. All right. So tonight we're going to be talking about tribalism. And tribalism, very briefly, and then I'll expand on it, is the concept of a collection of people together making an in-group and an out-group based off of shared characteristics. So to expand on that, or Chris, you looked like you had something to say real quick. Yeah, I wanted to talk about our rules. I don't know if it's time for the oh, rules yet. Oh yeah, go for the rules. Okay, yeah. so we've got three rules, which is amazing because usually we don't we don't achieve this level of, of rule making under usual circumstances. Yes, but tonight we had a legislator with us. We had we were able to get it through. All these laws were duly enacted. Uh, I just like to state, you know, that, that you know if there's a if there's a conflict between the laws, we each, each of us is a branch. Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, let's not indi- well, okay. Let's not get into which branches because I feel like that would very quickly devolve into well, well, no. It's, it's fair. yeah, legislator, ex- executive, judicial. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm the legislator. You're always you know, the one I'm, who I'm calls the out. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Wait, wait, hang on a second. I feel like I was victimized yeah. for a second there. No, you you always call out when the rules happen. I okay. When breaches happen, I guess I just did. Yeah. So all right. I'm the sovereign. And I then like by that. yeah, but I'm the executive. Wait, and hang by on. Process of elimination. I'm the judiciary. This is already such a nightmare because I now you're talking about sovereign, which is the name of the class I just finished a paper for. You're talking about tribalism, which is basically the subject of the paper I just wrote. So this is just so we all... have very big expectations for you tonight, Chris. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, let's talk about these rules. I want to run past that moment as fast as possible. Here we go. Rule number one. It's just like lost my mind for a second there. Co-talking. Uh, one of us uses a word which has a specific meaning or a meaning in any way only known to the person talking because of their tribal background. Um, I'm familiar then in psycholinguistics. This is something known as code switching. Uh, and essentially the idea is someone says something, the others of us either don't understand the meaning or don't understand the context of the meaning. We all have to take a drink. Rule number two. Too many chiefs. Our tribal backgrounds cause us to have very different perspectives on something. I expect a lot of stories to be told this evening, and in all likelihood, at least one of us will be shocked by how different an experience that was in their own experience. That's going to cause us all to take a drink. Number three, culture shock. Sort of like too many chiefs, but this at this time, it's when we have a wildly different opinion from another person sitting at this table because of our tribal background and where we come from and our experiences. So those are our three rules, different meanings, different perspectives, and different opinions. All of them are going <laughs> to mean we have to take a drink, which is going to be great. Anyway, so I guess we'll move right along. All right. So for those of you who are still confused about what a tribe is, um, and, and to clarify, we don't mean like Native American uh, tribes specifically we mean we mean this broad concept of tribes um simply as a group of people so the example i have in my head is to look at the harry potter books right and you have everyone sorted into four houses and those four houses are each tribes um they're they're artificial tribes in a sense although they're less artificial than say 
at the law school were split up into sections, and those were very artificial. Section four was definitely Gryffindor. <laughs> Just saying. Well, okay. Yeah. That's fine, I guess. Oh, no, I think we were Slytherin. I we think were we were Slytherin, ambitious. too. I really agree we were Slytherin. We were Slytherin until Neil got kicked out. We were, But that's just even worse, right? Because we just, like, participated in group, like, <laughs> group obliteration. Sacrifice. Yeah, we, we, like, threw someone under the bus for our greater good. Yeah. That was very Does Slytherin shit. Part of the out group? Hey, here's a question. We did, kicked him out of the tribe. Did, <laughs> did all of us take the um, Pottermore thing? Yeah. 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 Okay, so we can all talk about this. Okay, yep. yeah. So real quick, what are what house are you guys in? I'm a Gryffindor. I'm a Slytherin. I'm also a Slytherin. I was <laughs> Well, I'm behind enemy lines right now. <laughs> I think uh, that I think that um the fact that we just agree- disagreed about what section we were in and the fact that we all literally come from a different Harry like me and Doug agree that our section just follows our own. This deserves a drink. Those I don't know which. I don't know what rule that just broke. fighting those conservative Gryffindors. Mm. <laughs> it was all. It was all true. It's all true. Um, I, I think that's just indicative that we all like to think of everybody else as exactly like we are because our egos are that big. But you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean. I don't know. It it was some, definitely some confirmation bias there. Yeah, I agree with your example because my definition of tribalhood, um, according to my paper, which I sort of define like tribes, like nations, like any group of people like that. And the way that I would describe it is like anybody who has an identity where they feel like they and everyone else in that tribe share a – they have a shared cultural heritage, you know? And that's true for like the Harry Potter houses. Right. Like they all feel like – Oh, we we're inheritors of the mantle of whoever, and we're inheritors of the of the traits of this particular founder. We inherit the dorms, we inherit the ghosts, we inherit the professors. You know, they've got like that shared heritage amongst right. them. So, what I want to say, in addition to that, or expanding on that, is that what you've described is what I'm going to call a natural tribe, which is a tribe that's formed out of a shared um, cultural tradition. Or we could expand on what forms a natural tribe as we discuss this because it, it's still fresh in my mind. That's but fine. there are things like artificial tribes too, which I'd say section four in the law school is. Um, for those of you who don't know about this, uh, UT Law does a kind of Hogwartsy thing where they separate um, they separate new students into three subgroups. Um, that is, they have one that's a very small mentoring group. And then they have a society, um, one of eight societies, and then one of four sections. Um, 16 mentor groups. just to Yeah, 16 clear. mentor groups. So each society has two mentor groups. Each section has two societies in it. Um, and those, soci- those uh, sections all take the exact same classes together for the entire first year, the first two semesters. I think every law school might do this. Everyone that I've ever heard of has done this. Everybody's got sections, but different law schools have sections of different sizes. Um, I, I know Stanford has like eight sections for roughly the same size class. Uh, it just the, the different law schools will, uh, will structure it different ways. Okay. Everyone's got sections. Right. All right. Sick. But um, the the way UT makes their sections is you don't put on a sorting hat. Um, they They create them based off of demographics or some... It's not abundantly clear how they do it. Yeah, we don't we don't have insight into how it happens. Um, okay, here's the thing: 
it has long been it has long been said that they have some kind of sorting hat mechanics going on behind closed doors. And let us just note that when that was heavily not just implied but screamed at the audience during the um assault and flattery show, a a member of the admission staff came in and played the role of the person in fact doing that on stage. And Doug was sitting next to me while that was happening. <laughs> so I think at this point, they've basically lost their plausible deniability as to that. Oh, that, that, that's absolutely true. I knew that. I knew that when, when, when we were, uh, you know, before 1L year even started, the summer before 1L year, I remember talking with, with friends who were coming to UT Law as well. And we'd all kind of figured out there were definitely common characteristics amongst wide swaths of our individual sections. So if they've been, you know... All right, the administration lied to us again, I guess is what I'm getting at, you know. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that sticks with me about tribal tribalism or tribal behavior is that um, even if the tribe that you're in means nothing at all, there's a proclivity towards your own tribe and sort of hating other tribes in a sense or being antagonistic towards other tribes on the same level. Yes, um, fraternities. Right, fraternity. <laughs> yes, exactly, fraternity. Exactly. But the one that gets me is there's this um there's this comic put on the internet and I can't source it because I've I've only seen it like around, um but it's it's the sky and then like this flag falls from the sky or something and says Team A and he picks yes. it up and he's like what's this and then he sees someone else holding a With flag a little red flag that, a little red flag that says Team B and he's like wow fuck that guy yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I just want to throw this in here. Doug, Doug, you and I were in fraternities in undergrad. I had a mentor at my fraternity, an old, a guy older than me, say something that at the time I was like, huh? But I never forgot. And it's just increasingly true all the time. He literally was like, Chris, the only difference between this fraternity and every other fraternity. Like, don't kid yourself. There's nothing, there's nothing important about the different, like you know, uh, hazing quote unquote or different like brotherhood activities or different membership, throw all that out the window. It doesn't matter. The only difference between this group and any other group is the arbitrary secrets that this group asks you to keep for the very reason that it's just the shared set of secrets that everyone else is asked to keep. You just have one additional thing to talk about with these people than with other people. And that's what forges a unique brotherhood. And it seems to me that that is so utterly true and completely agrees with your analysis. I just wanted to throw that in there. Here's where I'm going to disagree with you, and that brings our first drink. All right, I hate you. Should I drink at mm -hmm. this point? Okay. Every time any of us breaks a rule, we all drink. Okay, all right. Yeah, it's communists like that. So <laughs> you found the underground ring. Distribute. This is, <laughs> yep, yep. This is your hazing. Mm -hmm. No personal accountability in this room. <laughs> all right. So... And the reason I'm disagreeing with you is because I came from a school that was heavily Greek mm. in the sense that um, there was literally nothing to do on campus besides that and the acting club. Um, and Okay. Yeah. And you did both. Right. And I did both because they weren't, those two things weren't mutually exclusive. But um, each, there were about five fraternities. There were like four official ones and then one um gang the, what if you yeah excuse me <laughs> so that's what that's what administration called it because it was a fraternity that 
used to exist but ran out of members and that they tried to reinstate but they couldn't do it. So administration referred to this group of students as a gang. As a gang. Well, think about it. An unofficial fraternity is like a gang. I don't know, man. Like a club, like an organization. Yeah. A gang. Yeah. You know, connotation wise. I, oh, I know. Exactly. It sounds awful. Yeah. But almost as if they had a different different meaning behind their code than what we might. Yeah. But um, what I noticed was that each, like what, what you were saying was that fraternities were basically artificial tribes. Um, in a sense. Well, that, what's the real difference, to be honest? And and to you, it's whatever random secrets you're hazed into keeping. Are you saying that the flag falling into your lap is the, like, that's the pure example of an artificial tribe? My, my example of an artificial tribe is that it's a tribe created, um, not out of, like, a shared cultural uh, background, but just, it's, it was created by people just for the sake of creating a tribe. Just a meaningless set of distinctions. Yeah. Arbitrary. Yeah, like that flag but coming down and saying team A. But isn't everything about even a natural tribe completely arbitrary? It's just what people choose to care about. Not exactly, because a natural tribe might be something like a family. I That's think, an example of yeah. a natural tribe. But so or is... Or even a nation. But, well, the thing about a nation is like, a nation could be the national Irish of Northern Ireland... Yeah. It could be the Greek Orthodox people living in Croatia. It could right. be I mean, all of these are ways to define a nation, but some of them are not factors inherited from birth or even inherited um naturally like through your family. Some of them are choices that you make. Sure. And it seems to me that it the line blurs between a natural and an artificial tribe. Oh, Chris, well, all lines are blurry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some are just less blurry than others. Right. I think this no, is a particularly I, blurry I, I, line. Yeah, we're not. I, I, I'm not going to say there's a definite line. There's there's a blurry line, but you can look at some things and say these are completely artificial, like the flag falling down comic. So and you could look, or and you could look at other things. The, the jurist in me wants to draw a bright line, no pun intended, rule okay. um, between uh, our, you know, the, 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 this concept of natural tribes on the one hand and artificial tribes on the other. And if I understand it correctly. Uh, what you're saying, Doug, is that an artificial tribe is a tribe where the distinctions are distinctions without differences, essentially. They're, they're meaningless. They don't mean anything. There's, yeah. no, there's no real weight behind it. Whereas a natural yeah. tribe is sort of a tribe built around a common set of characteristics, okay. a common set of interests, something that's intrinsic to the people within the tribe that they all share um, that's not generally shared with members of any other tribe or people outside the tribe or anything like that. Is that yeah, it, no, it, thank you. Am I in the, the No right way, Andrew. That's here. exactly how I want to say it. Hang on a second. That sounded good, but let's really like pick that apart for okay. a second because I feel like that latter definition describes all kinds of tribes, even artificial oh. ones. I mean, an artificial tribe, you still have a set of, of things, of, of circumstances about them, even if it's as silly as which flags fell into whose laps. These factors, because of the, the fates attached to the people who are in this group, are now intrinsically true of each person within the group. They are mutually exclusively true of people outside of the group. They are shared within the group, and these are circumstances that bind them all together, even if it is something as artificial as a flag falling into your lap. So what's the difference between that? What's the judgment call we're making between a, a flag falls into my lap versus I grew up in the Talmudic traditions of whatever, whatever, in whatever place, to whatever family? Well, I, 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 I mean, I, the, the, 
it, that's a good question. I mean, I'm not, I'm not 100% you know, sure how to answer that. And I think in theory, you're probably right. But uh, in practice, though, I, I think you've already give us, given us a, an example of exactly what, what we're talking about here. Let, instead of looking from individual fraternity to individual fraternity, let's, let's look at the Greek system as a whole versus the rest of campus. I think it, every one of us, everyone in this room is going to think that the, every single fraternity brother, regardless of what fraternity, is going to have a lot more com- in common with every single other fraternity brother, regardless of what the fraternity they're in, uh, than the average fraternity brother would have with the average non-Greek student. And and, th- and that's that, that, that distinction is more uh, pronounced on some campuses than it is on others. Where I went to school, Alabama, it's, it's certainly much more pronounced here than it is here at Texas. Uh, but um, I, you know, I would say that the letters on the wall and the little different kind, the different secrets that the different houses have—that's the artificial distinction. An example of the artificial mm-hmm. distinction we're talking about between artificial tribes, and whereas Greek versus non-Greek is an example of a much, much more substantive distinction that would qualify, you know, differing uh, natural tribes. Great. Two things. Um, big drink we all deserve for that story because of the difference in perspective you just brought. Cool. Coming from the tribe of Bama rather than the tribe of UT. Or yes, and, and we'll definitely use tribal broadly in this perspective. Second, are you basically Roll saying... <laughs> that's fair. So, that's very fair. Are you basically saying that the real importance between an artificial tribe and a naturalistic tribe is not in anything about the tribe itself, but rather just the closeness of connection or the absence of closeness of connection that separates the tribes. You see what I mean? Like what you basically just said was, here's the thing you can really tell, is that as a general matter, the fraternity brothers, like the Greek students at a university, will be very much more similar to each other than they are similar to the rest of campus. So to me, you know, I understand that's true. But then the question becomes, is the only real distinction then not any not any factors that are true just within the group, but you can only really judge the legitimacy of a tribe by how little it resembles similar or rather other tribes around it, how different it is from those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think so if we're being fair in practice, I think the difference between an artificial tribe and a natural tribe is the gravity of the difference you're, you're, you're looking at. If the difference between one fraternity house and another fraternity house is the secret handshake and the letters on the wall, I think we would all, all agree that that's an arbitrary difference. It's not a, a, a significant enough difference to, to qualify the two fraternity houses as being substantively different, such that they're different natural tribes. But let I mean, me, you, you see, so, am, I, am, I, am I following you here? No, I understand exactly what you're saying. So let me bring up a difference in perspective that will cause us to take another drink. So here at UT, for example... A few decades ago, actually not too many, like two decades ago, let me put it this way, fraternities would have street wars with each other every once in a while. My fraternity, older guys in my cha- in my chapter, tell me stories sometimes about like just gang wars on the street that they would have with other chapters. Somebody would punch somebody or somebody would steal someone's date or something. And then a couple weeks later, there's like a hundred guys in the middle of the street and the cops are refusing to show up for, you know, policy reasons while dudes with baseball bats are just swinging at each other in the street. Now, no fraternity brothers are having street wars with regular students on campus, no matter what organization they might be a part of or whatever groups they might belong to. So in that extent, 
in that experience, you might say, well, the difference actually is more pronounced between fraternities than it is between fraternity brothers and campus students. And I can see Doug is begging to say something. Well, let, first let's drink. All right, we got to take another drink. Okay, so I have two things. First, um, maybe another way to put a bright line between artificial and natural tribes is that artificial tribes are intentionally created. Um, and you can you can trace the roots to some point of creation. Whereas natural tribes spring about um, through strange, you know, untraceable uh, origins. But aren't tribes, no matter what kind, defined by an identity? And isn't, and isn't identity all about the way you ascribe yourself? Right. And it doesn't matter if you're in a artificial tribe or a natural tribe. Is what I meant. What I was saying with the flag. Um, coming down okay that's fair yeah but but what i mean to say is even even artificial even tribes that have literally nothing in common between the tribe members still bring in a loyalty to the tribe yes um and sort of an antagonistic view to other members of the tribe or to other people different tribes so i understand what you're saying here here's the way that i put it though because um in order to form a tribe, you have to have a will to form the tribe. So, example. Not necessarily. Well, hang on, because here's one thing I would say. If you don't want to be a part of the tribe, then you're basically not at the end of the day. Right, and, that's to join a tribe. but Right, but also to be a part of a tribe, you have to there, – there's sort of this – I mean people have talked about, you know, uh, we're all kind of saying – using the same ideas just with different words. But there was like a French philosopher who said um, – that a, a tribe or nation or people or whatever you want to call it is like a daily plebiscite. It's a it's a broad spectrum. Just every person who's a part of it continues to affirm their desire to be a part of it. So let's use your, your I love this flag guy. So we're going to keep talking about him. If a blue flag falls into someone's lap and they just don't assign any meaning to that, they're not a part of the blue flag carrying fan club because they just don't care, right? In the same way that if I had... So I have a Danish heritage I'm super um, hyped about, and everyone who knows me knows it. If I wasn't hyped about it, am I really like a Dane? Well, I'm basically a Dane. I don't even have the citizenship because of... Are you really Danish? Well... (laughs) Hey, man. But I mean, because of weird rules of uh, citizenship, I'm not even a citizen of Denmark because they hate dual citizenship, basically. So... If I don't just continuously affirm through my own identity and my own talking about it that I am a Dane, am I a Dane? Am I a Dane in any important way? Am I a member of a Danish tribe in any way that matters? That's the question. Isn't it all about identity? And isn't identity always a matter of artificial uh, just describing yourself a certain way? Well, I think we don't have the same picture of artificial um, for this, because like I don't mean artificial tribes are in any way inferior. So you're using a different meaning for the word that you're using that I'm using. Yeah. Drinks time. Thank you, Executive Chris. <laughs> it's definitely enforcing the law. What you need to understand is, I'm the sovereign. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Sandy Levinson is the sovereign. I'm just not. <laughs> yeah. Can yes, you, continu- that was my answer. We have to continuously. Ooh, I wanted one of these. Perfect. Look, look at what you get to experience now. Yeah. You get a new experience. So, um, moving on because I think let's let's say this conversation about artificial and natural tribes is an artificial conversation. 
because like I came up with this separation um, earlier and I, I simply meant tribes that have nothing in common versus tribes that have a shared cultural that that is to say if two random people were assigned a tribe together um, they still have I, I just point out that they still have some loyalty to the tribe unless which unless as you just said you uh, remove yourself from the tribe but like if they decide to stay in the tribe then they they have this connection even where a connection between the two members of the tribe doesn't necessarily exist yeah I well, I, 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 I was just going to say, I, I, I get how you define natural tribe versus artificial tribe. I guess I would take a different approach with it. Okay. Uh, which is simply that, that a natural tribe, similarly to the way you define that, um, would be a tribe that forms naturally. It's a tribe, a tribe that forms maybe out of convenience or out of just the, the, the sheer magnetism of similarities between people we all have a natural yeah or even you know the growth of families that live close together forming like what we what we would deem a tribe in a normal sense instead of this academic tribe exactly so so i i think that 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 would be how i I would go about a natural tribe excuse me uh similarly to the way you do um i i personally think that any kind of tribe has to form around some some sort of common characteristic uh, and I think where you were going with an artificial tribe is whether that's that's the sort of arb- the distinctions between the tribes are are, are artificial, arbitrary, oh. things like that. That you're you're sort of defining the tribes against each other. I, I would, would 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 say instead of natural tribes and artificial tribes, maybe natural tribes and circumstantial tribes. In other in other words, tribes that are born not out of natural tendencies for between people to gravitate toward other people who are similar to them, but tribes that are formed out of out of the, the circumstances or tribes that are built around a common interest that, 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 that you know, a common economic interest or a common political interest or team. something like that. A, a group of people who yeah. would not be together were it not for the fact that they shared some one thing or a small group of things in common that are not innate characteristics, not cultural, you know, similarities. So, I'm, I'm actually, how. I'm willing to follow that because I feel like what you just set up is the difference between what we might call a nation or a people on one hand and on the other end something that we might just basically define as a faction an alliance or an alliance i believe that in fact i was about to ask you basically um because one of the more fun nationhood arguments that i saw play out through some speakers i was researching for my paper was what are the british people because on the one hand you could say the british people emerged from a natural um like trends and forces of tribal migrations and trade in between the Welsh, the I- or the North Irish, the Scottish, the English, the Saxons, the Normans. But then if you really get down to it, all of this was intentionally done by a series of monarchs and conquerors who intentionally were like, no, I will build the British nation, right? Yeah, so, who are playing EU4. Yes, indeed, they are playing EU four, and they're doing so. They're doing so very well. They're playing CK two. Um, it's a lot easier to. (laughs) This is like the old. This is the old paradox joke, right? Is that little change ethnicity button or the little change religion, the genocide button? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so I I don't think Andrew Parks has played that game. That's okay. So let's move the conversation. Um. Anyways, Does that mean I have to take a drink or no? No, that's oh, okay. Uh, All we did was talk about on. genocide. <laughs> oh, oh. Hey, we may be the part of the tribe of paradox games players. We're a part of the alliance of paradox games players. 
let's say alliances or tribes. Well, it sounds like we're saying that tribes can be either more like nations or people, or they can be more like factions or alliances. Well, all I'm saying is tribes are a fancy word for groups. All right, great. Academically. That means that And that regardless regardless of the reason behind the forming for the tribe, this was before we got bogged down to that separation um, that... Anyways, but regardless of the reason for the formation of the tribe, um, members who are staying, who are in the tribe have a loyalty to the tribe, even if the tribe is made for, you know, the most inconsequential of reasons. Okay. Um, That's fine. All yeah. we're doing is justifying that we have to take a drink, and basically I would have accepted right. any explanation. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and tribes, I think, can be anything. Um depending on any any group of people uh, formed. Oh, it's right over here. All right, excellent. The uh, bottle opener for you listeners. It's important and distracting. <laughs> yes. So, moving on then, uh, let's let's talk about some of the thing some of the consequences of being in a tribe. Um that is to say let's let's talk about this this loyalty to the tribe aspect and this um sort of hatred towards other members of the people outside of the tribe or other tribes um is that fair or are we talking about i don't think all tribes necessarily have hatred towards competing tribes it's like how would we put it it's like um not even distaste like acrimony might even be too much aversion might even be too much we're just talking about like just a really like all else being equal, a non-preference. Well, or the absence of a preference. I don't. I I say it stronger than that, and here's why. I think that competing tribes are naturally enemies. Um, if they're competing, yeah, right, exactly. I'm not. Yeah, the competing, buttons. Yeah, competing tribes. And when I'm okay, France, I click on Burgundy, and I click right, on England. Let's come back. <laughs> let's come back to this, then, okay? Because I'll I'll talk about my other subject. Let's let's talk about tribal hierarchies. That is to say, there's there's levels to tribes. There's nested tribes. Yeah, there's yes. nested tribes. Agreed. Um, you know, in in the Harry Potter universe, you have the four tribes at Hogwarts. But then you have Hogwarts. But then you have Hogwarts compared to the other three schools, which each have, or Hogwarts as a whole is a tribe, and then those Brax, Barton, and uh, no, actually, what were those called? Land. I, I feel like one was like Beau, Beauclair. No, yeah, the Fran- not Beauclair. The French school and the Russian school. Beau, dude, the Russian school was so fucking yeah. Weird. Except it was the Bulgarian, but yeah, uh, it was. Me, here's the wild thing, right? Romanian, right? It was. Like, it if, was. If it were up to Chris, that would be Russia. It totally right. was a no, actually, because it, it's in Scandinavia. That's where it is. So <laughs> it's got a Bulgarian culture, yeah, a Russian dress style, and by the way, Bulgaria, which is in. Not Balkans. not the Baltics, but the Balkans. So mm-hmm. the fact that it's all the way up, like the school is in Scandinavia, <laughs> is beyond me. Um, God, what was the name of that school? I used to know this. Their outfits were so cool. Yeah. Anyway. So, but what I'm saying is you, you have this hierarchy. Right. Um, or we might have, like, the three of us come from different hometowns, but then... That's exactly where I yeah. was about to take it. I, I took a, a Southern Studies class oh, you do while, this one, at, at, while in Alabama, and, and that was one of the things that was talked about, about the Southern identity. First, you identify with your community. Next, you identify with your state, and then you identify with the South, the, the former Confederacy, at least in Alabama. I think Texas is a little different than that. I, I think, you know... Yeah, Texas is a tribe of its own. Texas, 
a lot of people, particularly in the rural areas, tend to identify with their county and then uh, with the region of the state because it's such a big state and then and then with the state and then we you know we're the Lone Star State so we don't get any bigger associations of that and you know death to anybody who thinks differently. Well so that's actually really interesting because you're saying because often the question becomes something like are you a if are you an American first or a Texan first or but you're talking about it really boils down to a very devolved system in the South. Yeah, well, uh, the, the, the South, uh, I, the Deep South, at least, um, the 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 people there. It's your hometown, then it's your state, and then it's it's the you know it's it's the Confederacy. It's uh it's it's the the, the uh, stars and bars. Um, I I would say, and I, that certainly that that sort of identity, that sort of regional identity, I think is 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 unique to that part of the country. I don't think there's another part of the country that really identifies itself by the region of the country it's in. Um, but that it, 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 it certainly, you know, there sort of go back to what he was talking about. There's a foundational level, and then it just builds up into larger and larger associations, and. Um, and I, I think that also explains the duality of being a Southern rebel, but also a proud American at the same time, because you're, you know, within the country to anybody from the North, you're, you're from the South, man, you know, screw you guys. And, but outside of the country, um, you know, screw Canada, we're an American. Right. You know? And that's wanna, really interesting. I want to discuss this hierarchy, um, specifically about tribe loyalties and duties. That is, um, tribes tribes come with loyalties but they also come with duties in a sense like you're you're loyal to your tribe and you have certain duties to your tribe um to remain in it so in my mind in a in a perfectly functional tribal system um you you start with the the smallest tribes that is to say um in in the scale of nationhood uh national identity first you have your family and then uh I guess going with what Andrew said, because we're in America and we have a sort of different sort of national identity um, than, say, European countries. But you, you have your family and then maybe you have your community, um, like your suburb or wherever you live. And then it expands and it's uh, your county, your region of Texas, um, Texas as a whole, the South, um, and then America. And then maybe whatever alliance like the west let's say whatever big cultural thing america's part of and then humanity in general um so in my mind in a perfectly functional tribal hierarchy like that um if there's conflicts in duty your duty to the largest tribe or your duty to the largest tribe is most important but um that is to say like you know, if you're you're America and you're contesting the Soviet Union, um, you're not going to go for the mutually assured destruction route because your uh, loyalty, your duty to humanity is more important than destroying Russia and maybe they won't nuke back. So what you mean is ideally? Yes, ideally. I'm, I'm saying in an ideally functional yeah. We'll we'll discuss the where, fact that that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll discuss yeah. some of the yeah, shortcomings exactly. there. But on the other hand, your duties towards humanity are going to be smaller than your duties towards your family. Like your duties 
as you go into smaller levels of tribal things, your duties become greater um, for each smaller level. And you're saying that that would be ideal. Yes. Well, here's the thing. I don't think... I think that the most effective system is when the larger tribe manages to subvert all the identities of the lesser tribe or the smaller well, nested tribes. Is, yeah. Like, you know, the most effective authoritarian system pops up when instead of anyone thinking, I'm proud to be Bavarian and German, they say first, second, and third, I'm German, and everyone else is German, and we all are German, and together we're German, and we're going to be German as against the world, that kind of thing. Well, like That seems the most effective and powerful organization so of tribal structure. This is... I don't think that's necessarily an organization of tribal structure. I think that's a perspective. So that's like... Because, you know, I'm an American, but I'm also a Texan. Um, and, and I admit to both. And and I'm a Daffin. You know, that's in my yeah. Okay, I guess I see what you yeah. mean, but but it's like at a certain level, I think it has been historically true that some of these things just break down. That the borders between being—I mean, look at France, right? Like yeah. it's not a joke in France. Like there once were at least three kingdoms within the territorial limits of France. Many of those had their own local areas where anybody could say, you know, I'm really, I really feel Avignon. Uh, Okay, I'm going to butcher all of it. But you understand that there are many locales within France that people once felt very proud to be from and were independent areas. And I think that what the success of the French state has been, which they did much much more quickly than Germany could, was they broke down those boundaries and people didn't really identify as anything besides being French. Well, that's that's the, uh, if you will, the genocide button on EU4. But it... I suppose, but let's not forget that and there are other ways of remember, achieving. Remember, pressing, pressing that genocide button improves cultural stability in your It does, country. and a lot of other stability. Right. But the thing is, like, you know, all, all joking aside, for sure, there are ways to achieve that same goal without, you know, hitting the genocide button. And, you know, a lot of it can just be as, you know, as successful as the French had been about realigning the loyalties so that you're no longer really talking about my local um, pro- province. I can't pronounce anything in French, so I know, like, just give me a, a free pass, listener, please. Um, instead of just identifying with your local group, it was about identifying with the larger French nation. And I don't think that was about going through and, like, systematically annihilating people who thought otherwise. Okay. I think that was more than just obliterating the smaller tribes it was about making the smaller tribes less important than the larger tribes right and this is this is what i'm saying on on the perfect hierarchical system is saying that your your loyalties are greater to the biggest tribe but your duties are greater to the smallest tribe um and you know scaling up and down like that oh interesting yeah so like and it's easy to have great loyalty to something when you have very little duty to it Okay. That's, that's a very poignant. You know what? No, because Parks, you're about to get in this for real. See, you're saying, see, you're saying that in a perfect system, your duty to the smaller unit is more important. Your loyalty to the larger unit is more important. Yes. So let me ask you something that I expect and desire Parks to jump in on at length. Okay. Did Robert E. Lee make the correct decision by your tribal strategy that you're describing? I don't think so. And my my reason being that I think his it overrode he overrode his loyalties 
um, towards the greater. Honestly, I think it, it overrode his loyalties towards humanity. Um, oh, wow. On, on the biggest scale, which is to say that slavery is an affront to humanity um, in itself. And then, you know, as you go deeper, uh, if, you're, if you mean specifically America is greater than the South and the North, um, you know, his, he had smaller duties to America um, and more things he had to do for the South um but uh, america first I, I i so i will jump in yeah you got your wish chris um i there's a lot of history that goes into this and and you know for the record at the onset i'm going to say this i i think the civil war is much more nuanced it's much more gray area than it is black and white yeah. no pun intended um that having been said i think that is an excellent question because it, it, it's a situation that pits the the duty to the smaller unit, as right. you put it, against the loyalty to the larger unit. Um, understand why or what Robert E. Lee, the position Robert E. Lee was in. Robert E. Lee, in a sort of similar fashion to Sam Houston, was a unionist at heart. Um, it wasn't just that his loyalty to the union was strong. It was that he did not believe it was in the South's best interest to go to war. Uh, but he he could not betray his oath of fealty, if you will, to the state of Virginia. Um, Houston took a slightly different approach. He just kind of retired and said, I'm going home to the ranch. Um, and I, to me, um, I, I don't even know where to begin to say this, but I, 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 I again... I, Taking the nuanced approach, um, there are certainly figures that I think you can condemn for, for what they did during the Civil War. And I, I would personally say that Jefferson Davis is one of them. Um, but the flip side, you know, Robert E. Lee, uh, if you want to talk about his, his, his loyalty to the larger unit, I think you also have to look at what he did after the war. Um, he, this is a gentleman who took over as a, as a, as a, as a president at a university after the war was over, who, uh, uh, as civic institution, he promoted um, reintegrating the South back into the Union uh, avidly. He actively opposed um, efforts by Southern loyalists, if you will, <laughs> um, uh, the, the, you know, to, to, to uh, carry on the lost cause, whether um, uh, that was the effort to, to turn go down to South America and turn some of the countries down there into a plantation culture or to continue to seek uh, uh, support from Europe and, and to, to, to subvert the Union through guerrilla warfare and those kinds of means. Um, I, 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 I look at that personally as less a, a, a tribal distinction issue, and I look at that more as, um, I guess it's a tribal distinction issue in that he did make the decision to, that he said, I'm a Virginian first. That was his statement. And, and, and uh, even if he didn't believe in the war, Virginia was going to fight. He didn't believe, I think the side they were on was the right one. Um, he, he was willing to do his duty to the, to the state of Virginia. Um, but that having been said, it, when you put that in, in the nuance of the time um, and, and you, you, you sort of look at it through the, through the prism of Robert E. Lee's moral compass, I, I think that was a... a, a 
a decision where you can't really say he was right, but you can't really say he was wrong either. He was between a rock and a hard place. Right. So how? Hang on, I have one more thing to add to that. Is that I think um, the way the question set up, uh, it it kind of removes the perspective from looking at it because if you look at the Civil War, it's not a question of the South versus America as a whole, but it is the North versus the South. Um, and then the the union is at stake. Um, but I, I hate using this phrase because the, the people who use this in my mind have it incorrect. But um, a lot of people in the South will refer to the war as the war of Northern aggression. That's correct. And... I don't, I don't like using that phrase, but there was this economic um, aggression that mm-hmm. existed as a precursor to the war that sort of led to it. I, he, the, there was also this moral issue of slavery. Um, and the, the two were the same topic, which is why mm-hmm. you know, I, don't, I don't agree with people who call it the war of northern aggression, but I, I understand that... Um, because of the way the the markets were set up, um, the South had this market that was based on a morally incorrect um, institution of chateau slavery, um, and by by removing it, uh, the North could be both um, both morally justified and also in a way enforcing and winning a trade war versus the South. I, yeah, um, th- th- there were economic drivers. I certainly agree with that. I, the, the the war of northern aggression statement. I think to 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 sort of to southerners who still use that term um, is has less to do with with the economics of it. I think it has more to do with the belief in state sovereignty and how that trumps national sovereignty and the rights of states to remove themselves. Uh, they would tell you that that Alabama or South Carolina or Texas or whatever state had the right to secede peacefully if it wanted to. And that it was the Union that started the war because they wouldn't let them do it. Uh, that, that's where that's born. I agree with you that there are definitely economic drivers. And I agree with you further that there's not a real distinction to me between the economics of it and slavery on the one hand and even the states' rights issue. You, know, you, you have people who seem to be pitted on one, one of those two sides uh, of that debate no matter what. The people will say, try as a justification for the war, it was about states' rights. And then people will say that, oh, that's just a moniker for slavery. Um, and in truth, the two were inseparable. Um, the the, the, the prevailing view at the time, um, go back to our common law class for a minute, uh, was that the, the federal government had the right to regulate interstate commerce, that is, transactions crossing state boundaries and things that touched them, um, and they didn't have the right to, rec- uh, to, to, to regulate local commerce. That was in the province of the states. Slavery at the time had ceased altogether as an international trade in the United States, uh, the international slave trade had been banned in the country since 1808, uh, and it had, it had become a, mostly a local market. Local plantations would, would, would buy and sell slaves to local slaveholders. Um, very little of the, the, the market actually moved across state lines. Very little of it actually moved from county to county, if we're being totally honest. And so there was a view in the South that the federal government, if it tried to ban slavery, was exceeding its power because it, it, it constitutionally, under their view of the Commerce Law, the predominant view at that time, they didn't have the power to do that. So to me, it's it, and that goes right back to what I said at the very beginning. It's not a black and white issue. It's a, it's a, it's a gray area issue. I don't think that there's 
I, 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 slavery is morally abhorrent institution. I think we all agree on that. I think we can also agree that it's existed since the beginning of, of, of human history and that it continues to exist today just on the black market through human trafficking. Um, and and so to, to me, I, I, I don't think there's a, even if it is a morally abhorrent institution, I don't think that creates a, 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 a an inherent moral high ground for the, the, the faction that tried to, to remove it just because, I, you know, the, 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 that ne- wasn't necessarily the motivation for the, the, the North entering the war anyways. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you insofar as... I would agree with almost all of that. I think where you'll find the most controversial thing you said, but I think you would still stand by it, um, is the idea that the mere mission to remove a morally abhorrent institution is not sort of carte blanche access to casus bellum. But, you know, I understand what you're saying. Um, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly that it's inseparable talking about the issue, give me a second, Doug, talking about the issue of, um, all of it, all of it, the economic aggression, the will to remove slavery, all of this stuff is a conflict over the use of the legal mechanisms of the larger union to control the actions of individual states and more often than not, but what we mean by individual states, except when New York doesn't get to control who comes into New York, is about control of the southern states. But it is drink time. Right. Although I think I need to retrieve another drink for, for Parkfield. Yep, I got what one. have you got? I got the Shiner uh, Berliner Weiss. Excellent. I don't know. I can't read that. Berliner Weiss. Expenine. It's a It's a jelly donut beer. Yeah. <laughs> you know what by the way let's just take this opportunity across the board listener that is bullshit a berliner is not a categorical like the meaning of berliner is not categorically a jelly donut there are many like it's absurd it's completely absurd even going to the wikipedia page will teach you that saying berliner does not at all like definitely mean you're talking about uh yeah. A jelly donut at all. Like I could say I am a uh, insert party here. You know, I am a Democrat. And if you go to Torchy's Taco, exactly. there's a taco called the Democrat. And I think but that... I'm not saying I'm a taco. Right. I mean, ultimately, I think... I, I would say that by calling myself a Republican, I am, in fact, a taco. Okay. Torchy's Taco. I guess if you... <laughs> You can want to be a taco. I yeah. mean, I think well, that isn't, isn't the Republican Party against identifying as strange objects? Well, at one point or another, you one might have claimed that they were against the proliferation taco proliferation. Yeah, but yeah. well, no, these tacos don't come from a truck. So. <laughs> Listen, what I was going to say was, I think that ultimately, how much Berliner definitely means jelly donut is somewhere in between thinking Democrat means taco from Torchies and thinking Frankfurter means hot dog in every occasion. It's somewhere in between those two. It's like sometimes. And also because of the grammar rules in effect at that time in German history, not saying, like saying Ein or not saying Ein, the audience wouldn't have known the difference. They would have been like, whatever, he's using like typical slang German, essentially. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out there because it's it's yeah. fucking slander is what it is. So um, I'm, I'm glad we talked about the Civil War because I think that's a fantastic um, example of tribal conflict. That is the North versus the South. I think it's also sort of an example of tribal hierarchy screwing up 
because it was the North and the South taking their tribal rivalry um, to a point where it imperiled um, the greater tribe. Yeah, the greater tribe, the the higher tribe. If there was such a thing as an American tribe. Yeah, that's that's true. I, I that, you know, I, I, we also have to realize the times we live in and the perspective that we're looking at that through, and 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 not just for the moral implications here, but also for, uh, for for that very what you just brought up on that very subject. I mean, the idea that that the United States was one nation and not a union of individual states. Um, you, there, there's the famous line in National Treasure that before the Civil War, people referred it said the United States are not the United States is. Because they didn't think it at, think of it as a single country. It was thought of as, as an alliance and a free trade zone of individ, individual independent states. I, I, you know, I, I think we in particular today, uh, I, I think the, the, the singular unity of the, the country from a cultural and social perspective is, is weaker now than it was, say, 20 years ago. But even today, yeah. I would say it's substantially stronger than it was prior to, and even perhaps immediately after, and for several decades after the Civil War. And that comes to something I was going to bring up earlier, but I, I, I didn't do it. I, you, went, you started talking about France and the development of France as a single country. And uh, I'm not particularly familiar with French history, but I think that was part, partially driven by external pressure. Well, it depends on what specifically we're talking about. Because the French monarchy... The, even the ancien, oh my God, just give up already. Ancien's regime, or however you say it, the old monarchy of just France, pre-revolution. How we pronounce French words in legal, French legal words in English. You know, say. I mean, or dire. <laughs> well, hang on. I want to know how Ginsburg uh, pronounced that one French phrase she put, she threw in the um um. It's, um, I've never listened to a word of Ginsburg. So. <laughs> women's health versus uh uh whole women's health. Oh, Chris, God. Chris, I didn't I didn't read for comma. Okay, forget <laughs> this. Um, I think we should have a drink because uh, I think yeah. Andrew just introduced the very first time a Nicholas Cage quote has ever been used on the show. I'm down. My next one's gonna come from Connor. All right, the, uh, he's sick. Our secret drinking rule is that Nick Cage is a drink. We have a lot of like. Um, you got a Cosmos. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Pretty lit. Um, yeah. Let me grab you that. Um, and I completely lost my train of thought. So then I'll go. Nicholas Cage. Oh, I was just gonna say that when weird stuff like that, when like out of the blue things like that happen, when we suddenly realize, well, that's an interesting thing on the show. We we go for that usually. Are you yeah. okay? I'm good. All right. <laughs> I was going to make a spell. <laughs> okay, so... I, the, the general point I was making, I don't mean to interrupt you, Doug, but I just... I, All right. One of, the, one of the... Also, to go back kind of to an earlier point, tribes of, of convenience or circumstance, whatever I called it, um, the, the, the external pressures can force that just as much as anything else. And I would say that the United States today, it, it, part of the reason it does have a frame, in my opinion, but a singular social fabric um, is because of external pressures like the World Wars and the Cold War after that. Right? Okay, this so... Is, this I'm, is where I want to go, actually. Yeah, because I didn't um, finish Because France. I want to I talk about tribal conflicts and why they're important. Um, because you might think that tribal conflicts are sort of this bad thing that happens because of tribalism. Um, because we go into these tribes and suddenly... 
I don't I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I'm I'm getting this from Alan Watts, so this this momentary like response from me on the Bible and stuff isn't necessarily my own. But the Bible has uh this quote, love your enemies. Um and Alan Watts interpreted that as love that you have enemies. Um not necessarily love your enemies as you know you love your brothers but love that you have enemies because having enemies allows you to define who you are because you you are defined as against um your enemies in the same way that say an apple is defined as it's not everything that's not an apple um and that's a weird way of defining an apple but you know you're if you have enemies and we say oh well we are not these guys then it helps you define yourself. Um, and in that sense, like France uh, uniting because of external pressures is how these um, tribal conflicts can help a tribe define itself. Um, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I would agree with I mean, I was that. just going to say that like the, the older way that France united itself culturally had more to do with the royal control of the the feudal courts and the way that fashions and um, the ways, the, the fashionable ways to dress and talk and act and eat and be proliferated much more easily through that country because of the way that the monarchy centralized control over the various lords of the country. But you are absolutely right because another huge thing about any faction or alliance or nation or people is if it does have an enemy defining itself constantly by not just the the daily plebiscite of who we are, but the daily plebiscite of who we most certainly are not and who we wish to rid the world of. Right. And sometimes um, that act of defining can go a bit too far, I think. And this is, this is where tribal conflicts sometimes can be good. And if they're taken, if tribal conflicts escalate to the point where... Um, the hierarchy is broken. Uh, I, I think that's when the conflicts suddenly become bad. So, like, let's say, let's look at sports teams um, in England. Let's let's look at soccer riots, right? So you might, a tribe might be, a, you know, Manchester United fans versus, uh, give me another soccer team because that's the only one I know. Man, uh, Manchester, hang on. What's their rival? It's Manchester United versus Manchester City. That is, like, an intense rivalry. Yeah, so... You know, a tribal conflict between the two fans might be fun banter um, against the other team. Like, you know, calling each other words. Uh, many um, words. Words, yeah, many, words that might surprise many you. Many awful words. Words, yeah. Words that might surprise you. Um, and, and that's part of the thing that escalates your enjoyment of soccer. But, on the other hand, um, you have soccer riots at, in which people are injured, um property is destroyed like you you then run into this conflict escalated to the point where it's um hurting your loyalty to a higher to england or to the city Manchester. happens every time the lakers lose (laughs) yeah something like that (laughs) oh my god i mean but here's the question though i this is interesting this is really interesting what is the line 
Why? Didn't we just, we already had one discussion about a lion and it was relatively useless and long-winded. How dare you? Have... That line was, you know what? You're only mad because I just picked apart y'all's lines. You're just unhappy because I made it unproductive by proving y'all wrong. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm guessing this Perhaps. is an inside joke, which no. means that... The line, it was the one we had earlier about trying to find a bright line between our... Oh, the line. Yes, the line. yes line, indeed. Yeah. I, yeah, I was here for that. Yes, um, you were here for that. That wasn't unproductive just because we didn't retrieve I guess that's true. So, anyway. No, continue. We could talk about this line if you want. I mean, What's, no. I'm just I'm just rankling against this idea that our conversation was, well, <laughs> was but, unproductive. Okay, yeah, but you're right about it being um, productive even if we didn't come to an accord. So I mean, isn't that part of your your larger point? Yeah. That just having the discussion and yeah, sharpening having, iron with iron against right. each other's views is what strengthens both. Right. Whereas if we got into a fist fight over where this imaginary line exists, then it would be too much of a conflict. Unless the fist fight is part of the larger service to the state. Like, here's something really interesting that we haven't really <laughs> talked about. No, no, no. This is for real. What if the very the very contest of arms is what helps? I mean, think of it this way. Old, old feudal kingdoms. Right. It is not unusual for one duke or one count to duel his neighbor or to, to raise levies to go fight each other. And it may well be in some of these places, the king might be like, that's fine. They're testing their martial might against each other. And when it comes time to test all of our strengths together against our neighbor, well, I will sure be glad that they had someone to sharpen their iron against. Right. And um, even on the higher scales, in a Mathurasian perspective, wars are one of the ways of solving overpopulation. Um, so, you know, if by... Here's here's something interesting that I just thought of. By seeking these tribal conflicts, you're actually, in a sense, um, performing your duty towards the larger tribe if the conflicts don't go past the line. Exactly. So here's exactly the yeah, example so, that I would think of. When Manchester United and Manchester City, when the teams face off, that contest is very useful towards... So European football teams have this concept of for club and country. So there's for the club, and then there's for the country. And for the country is when you sort of say, well, good thing we've been sharpening iron against iron, our teams all playing each other, because now it's time for the English World national Cup. team to form. And now all of that effort playing against each other is going to really pay off. Right. As against, there's virtually nothing positive coming out of Manchester United fans and Manchester City fans, even just poking each other you know, with verbal jaunts. Because what are they really performing a service for? They're creating jobs. Well, (laughs) entertainment, because the ultimate goal of soccer is entertainment. And if it's more entertaining for people, for soccer players to call each other names and poke each other with jibes, then that that increases the entertainment value of soccer. Uh, Football. uh, This is English soccer. Um, is that is that a larger objective tribally, or is that a larger objective just a larger objective, just a higher? Um, well, let's say let's say the tribe is um, the larger tribe is football fans in England. So, like you have football football fans of Manchester United and football fans of Manchester City. Was it? Yeah, that's, and that's then, the two yeah. teams. And then um, the the tribe that those are a part of it, the larger tribe is football fans in England. Or in Manchester. And like they create a good football environment by having these jibes. Um, but if they have riots, then they're not doing that. Or 
um, to move to move this tribal conflict to the political spectrum. Um, let's say having two opposing parties um, creates tribal conflicts, which may be good when those tribal conflicts are um, a ways of create crafting policy um, that taking different things into advantage. And then if the conflicts get too far to where neither both sides just want to completely destroy what the other side's doing, um, then suddenly they're removing their loyal their breaching their loyalty. Yeah, I mean, the way that I'm trying to work it out is because that is an example, as far as I can tell, of the larger objective. Like, that's more like soccer teams playing. That's right. like, when politicians fight, the idea is... That they're reach... crafting policy. Exactly, and the compromise will be better than the original. Yeah. But I'm trying to figure out... Because there is an interesting idea behind Manchester United versus Manchester City is more entertaining for everyone because the fans are more invested in it. That is an right. interesting idea that actually everyone is benefited just by the fact that the individuals in those two contests are following those narrowly aligned motivators to be more invested. Yeah. No, I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm just interested because it's it's one of those things where it's like, that seems like a, where else does that sort of appear? That you doing things that are kind of selfish as to the lower tribe end up being more helpful to the larger tribe. Well, that's, that's the idea of certain tribe, like t good tribal conflicts being helpful towards the larger tribe i guess that is true yeah yeah it's it's helpful by creating an entertainment entertaining more entertaining environment it's helpful in the same way of having two political parties fight to craft better policy yeah i guess that's true i guess it's all kind of the same thing all well, right. all right so um we're getting to about the end of our podcast so i want to ask for final thoughts um andrew do you have any final thoughts tonight um first of all uh, because we're discussing tribalism, I, I feel obligated to say this. Uh, go Indians! My high school team, Port Angeles Grows Indians, our baseball team plays in the state championship tomorrow. So cheers to that. They're playing here in Austin. They'll be at the Dell Diamond tomorrow in Round Rock, and I will be there to cheer them on. What level uh, is that, by the way? That is, uh, they are Class 5A. Okay. Uh, and uh, I think they're going up against Georgetown tomorrow. Um, but it's a, it's the first state tournament appearance for the Indian baseball team since 2004. Uh, it's, I think our first state championship appearance since at least the mid nineties. Uh, so, um, but you know, we call ourselves the tribe in Port Natchez and, you know, and, and being part Cherokee and being, uh, having gone to a school that was adopted by the Cherokee nation, it's something we're all very proud of. So, um, I, I think that's appropriate to say here. Um, final thoughts about tribal distinctions. Um, you know, I, 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 I think what it all boils down to is that we just innately as people have uh, a natural tendency to gravitate towards other people based on something we have in common, whether that's a common interest, common characteristics, common traits, common, excuse me, common lines of thinking, um, whatever it is, uh, that's what, that's what the whole group identity is built out of and that's what, what causes people to, 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 to come together. Um, I, I think that, uh, that there's a constant struggle in our society, a constant debate between, 
uh, what the, the duty to the whole is and what the rights of the individual are. I, I think that's the, the constant question of having any kind of group social structure. Um, and I think that's one part of the conversation that we maybe didn't get too much into, but I think that would be a fun topic to explore. Um, I, but as, as it goes to the tribe itself, to the group unit, um, I, I, I think that uh, certainly we cover a lot of ground here. Um, tribes within tribes, so to speak, that make up larger tribes, what the, what the distinctions are there, what the loyalties are there. I think we're in a unique position to discuss that in the United States because of our federal system and our 50 states. Um, I, I think that uh, all the way around this, I think, a very interesting podcast. We covered a lot of ground, uh, a lot of interesting points made, uh, a lot of good drinks. Um, <laughs> That's absolutely uh, true. Uh, a lot of, lot of entertainment. Uh, I enjoyed it. I want to thank y'all for having me on. Uh, and uh, with that, I, I'll turn it over. Chris, you want to give your final thoughts? Yeah, we really appreciate it, man. Um, we're sure glad you swung by. Uh, happy to do it. Happy to do it again sometime. Yeah, I think we would very much like that. Um, you know, for me, this is this is fantastic because this files into one of these grand categories that is definitive of our species, which is this really, really complex consideration of the simple question: Who are we? And it's this it's this matter of, you know, how do we answer who? How do we answer we? How do we figure out how do, how do we continue? to struggle with the ways that we ask this question and the ways that we answer them and the different ways that we do those two things over time. Um, the question of who are we can produce incredible feats of human sympathy and human um, unity. It can produce incredible examples of human cruelty and human uh, conflict. It is a question that every day we wake up asking ourselves and when we go to sleep every night the decisions we've made that day are ultimately defined by who we think we are who we think we belong to and what things define us as individuals as groups as alliances as factions as nations as people and that is i think one of the most important things that you could possibly talk about in the context of our species cheers to that cheers and then my turn absolutely are you ready to get blue-brained chris i'm always prepared for it all right so no it's just no the idea is that i always end up a end a podcast on something that chris really wants to talk about yeah It's a, it, he ends on a conversation starter, and then right. we end the show. Okay. And the conversation starter is for the audience. It's for you guys to think about it at home. So my, my final thoughts are that in this age of the internet that we're in, um, we're seeing tribes becoming isolated, um, self-isolated. That is to say, um, you might have a subreddit that's a private community, and it only accepts people of its own tribe. Um, and I think that that becomes a problem when, as we've discussed earlier, that tribal conflict is almost a necessity for the greater, for the tribe above it, um, to do well. So if we get something like, say, in our political system, we have 
um, many many conservatives and many liberals will just oust any sort of different view and only talk amongst themselves. Um, you, you get this position where suddenly, you know, like we talked about before, how too much, too big of a conflict jeopardizes the larger tribe. Um, no conflict at all uh, also jeopardizes the larger tribe because you don't get the benefits of the conflict. So that's our podcast, Chris. Uh, can you close this out? Absolutely. Uh, it's been a real pleasure once again, and we'll say it for a third time, to host uh, Mr. Andrew Parks. He's a very good friend of both of ours, and uh, we really love his thoughts, and I'm sure that you'll agree that he's got a lot of really interesting things to say about a lot of subjects. Um, we're happy to be back with you. We know we've had a long hiatus, and to be honest, uh, we'll probably do a couple more episodes and then have another long hiatus, but we hope that when we get back in the swing of school – uh, late, late August, early September, that we'll be able to deliver you more um, consistent episodes. We hope once a week, but we'll do our best. Other than that, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate the increased attention we've gotten recently, and we hope we'll be able to deliver you an experience that continues to make it worth your while to keep coming back. Thank you very much, and good night.